This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls. Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni Chapter 6. Confession as Praise The confession of sins has very obvious origins in the Bible. The various ritual forms of confession have differing histories, but the fact of confession is as old as history. Cain, confronted by God after murdering his brother Abel, declared, Mine iniquity is greater than I can bear, from Genesis 4.13. While this may not have been a repentance unto life, God all the same mitigated Cain's punishment because of his confession. Quote, In the Bible, the confession of sin committed either individually or collectively is an essential prerequisite for expiation and atonement. End quote. Sin and guilt offerings, which were a part of Old Testament worship, had to be preceded by confession, as one placed both hands upon the head of the sacrificial animal to identify his sin with the penalty of death. Later confessions, uh, confession of sins became a part of the synagogue worship. Individual confessions were made directly to God, although in some Jewish sects it was to one another. In Joshua 7.19, we see Joshua summoning Achan to confession. Quote, and Joshua said to Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. End quote. This is of particular importance because Joshua identifies the confession with giving glory to the God of Israel. The Hebrew word translated as confession is tauda, literally an extension of the hand as in a vowel or swearing or hailing, and it means both praising and confessing. Confession is a form of praise because it is an acknowledgement of responsibility to God. We acknowledge his rule, law and authority when we confess that we have transgressed his commandments. It is in this respect an aspect of glorifying God. The Psalms are full of general and specific or private confessions of sin, and these were a part of public worship and are so now as a way of glorifying God. For sins against God, confession was necessary. For sins against man, confession was to be accompanied by restitution. The prophets have an important place in the history of confession. As A.E. Suffren pointed out, quote, The mission of the prophets was to declare unto Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. From Micah 3.8, Jeremiah 2.1, Isaiah 58.10 
and a reciprocal acknowledgement was expected. Jeremiah 2.35, 3.13, Hosea 14.1. This requirement was made also by God to Solomon, a national confession being stipulated for national sins. Quote, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. From Second Chronicles 7.13-14 to End quote. Confession is thus a biblical, not an ecclesiastical fact in its primary character. True confession begins with our knowledge of God as God, our awareness of his absolute knowledge of us and our recognition that it is his law that we have transgressed. It concludes by glorifying God. It is thus apparent that antinomianism undermines confession at every point. By denying the validity of God's law, it reduces sin to displeasing God. From the violation of a law carrying the death penalty, sin becomes a matter which words can heal. In such cases, where sin is not related to an eternal law, a simply perfunctory acknowledgement suffices. We can say to someone whose toes we accidentally step on, I'm sorry, but to see this as sufficient with God's law is presumption. God may have taken vengeance on a people or on persons for unrepentant sins in Old Testament times, it is held, but now, because of Christ, the same rules do not apply. As a result, the place of confession in the modern church is increasingly diminished. Because man's original sin is to be his own God, determining good and evil, and law for himself, from Genesis 3.5, man is in Man in his fallen estate will not admit the need for confession to God and the modern church is indifferent to the need for it. The confession of sins is, among other things, an admission of creatureliness. God is our creator, the source of all life. How can a man live except by his grace? How can a man offend God and hope to find peace? As David says, quote, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light around me, yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as the day, the darkness and light are both alike to thee. From Psalm 139.7-12 The confessed heart glories in this fact. There is deliverance only in an omnipotent and omniscient God, and in none other. Not only is God all-seeing, but his very word has, by his spirit, the same power of discernment to uncover all things. We are told, quote, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, 
and is a discerner in the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. From Hebrews 4.12-13 This means, as B.F. Westcott pointed out, that the word, the revelation of God is living, not simply as enduring forever, but as having in itself energies of action. It partakes in some measure of the character of God himself. The moral activity of the word lays open the innermost depths of the heart. In the redeemed man, the word leads to confession. It is regenerating and energizing in its power, whereas in the ungodly the reverse is true. The confession of sins is thus not only a form of praising and glorifying God, it is also a regenerative, revitalizing act. In contrast, unconfessed sin is suicidal. As David said, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old. From Psalm 32.3 St. Augustine rightly saw the double aspect of confession, the confession of sin and the confession of faith. For him, Psalm 100 was very important as a declaration of the meaning of worship. Quote, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all your lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. End quote. Augustine, in his commentary on this psalm, saw the statement, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, as enter into his gates with confession, in this double sense. The word translated thanksgiving is again tauda, as in Joshua 7.19. Augustine wrote, quote, Enter into his gates with confession. At the gates is the beginning. Begin with confession. Thence is the psalm entitled, A Psalm of Confession. There be joyful. Confess that you were not made by yourselves. Praise him by whom you were made. Let thy good come from him. In departing from whom thou hast caused thine evil. Enter into his gates with confession. Let the flock enter into the gates. Let it not remain outside a prey for wolves. And how is it to enter? With confession. Let the gate, that is, the commencement for thee, be confession. Whence it is said in another psalm, Begin unto the Lord with confession. From Psalm 97.7 What he there calleth begin, he calleth, here, gates. Enter into his gates in confession. What? And when we have entered, shall we not still confess? Always confess him. Thou hast always what to confess for. It is hard in this life for a man to be so far changed that no cause for censure be discoverable in him. Thou must needs blame thyself, lest he who shall condemn blame thee. Therefore, even when thou hast entered in to his courts, then also confess. When will there be no longer confession of sins? In that rest, in that likeness to the angels. 
But consider what I have said, there will be no confession of sins. I said not, there will be no confession, for there will be confession of praise. Thou wilt ever confess that he is God, thou a creature, that he is thy protector, thyself protected. In him thou shalt be, as it were, hid. Go into his courts with hymns, and confess unto him. Confess in the gates, and when you have entered the courts, confess with hymns. Hymns are praises. Blame thyself when thou art entering. When thou hast entered, praise him. Open me the gates of righteousness, he saith in another psalm, that I may go into them and confess unto the Lord. From Psalm 98.19 Did he say, when I have entered, I will no longer confess? Even after his entrance, he will confess. For what sins did our Lord Jesus Christ confess when he said, I confess unto thee, O Father? From Matthew 12.25 He confessed in praising him, not in accusing himself. Speak good of his name. End quote. These words are important. Confession in the early church was an aspect of the sense of victory because through confession and God's grace, victory was possible. The double meaning of confession, of both sins and of praise, meant victory in both spheres of life with respect to one's personal life and also with respect to the corporate life of the church. In time, the Apostles' Creed became a part of this joyful confession. Calvin, whose institutes are a commentary on that creed, held that the creed should be sung because it is a joyful confession. In psychotherapeutic confession, not only is there no absolution, but also neither victory nor song. The same is true of the unconfessed man within the church. This is the end of chapter 6. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.